Psycho Steve presents. Hey guys and girls and everything in between, it's your podcasting pal, Psycho Steve, here on Hair Today, Gone Tomorrow. Today we are celebrating my one year anniversary and I actually have my producer extraordinaire co-hosting with me for the first time and we also have a very, very special guest. As you guys and girls and everything in between know, I'm not just a fan, I'm also the retired fan club president. Seeing Kiss 703 times, Mr. Bruce Kulik to take the time and Put up with us for a little bit. <laughs> Welcome, Mr. Bruce Kulik. Well, uh, thank you very much. That was a wonderful introduction. And uh, congratulations on your one year. I think thank that's you. really, really thank awesome. You. And, uh, you know, what could I say other than uh, you definitely are one of the biggest Kiss fans for sure. You know, so uh, thank you. You, you, can, you can wave, you know, kind of wear that badge proudly for sure. Thank you. I'm also I'm not just a fan of. Kiss, I'm also a fan of yours, and I've right. seen you in every project that you've done, from Grand Funk to Kiss to well, Union, the Eric Singer project. So, well, it makes you an all eras guy who happened to actually pay attention to what was coming after, which I appreciate because it, it is remarkable. I've been with Grand Funk. You mentioned them for 18 years now. Terrific band. Anytime any of my fans or friends come to see, they're blown away. And a lot of times, they may have heard the name or not, but they didn't know the hits that are associated with the band. So right. they always come uh, come away, you know, really impressed. And, and I appreciate that. But it is remarkable also how many fans that claim to be a big fan of mine and they have no clue to what I was doing post, you know, the, the reunion, which is, you know, 96, which is the year then I was not going to be in Kiss anymore. Right. And, of course, as, as you're aware, I had the band with John Karabi, Union, and we did two records and a live record uh, and a DVD. And then and then shortly after that, besides me work, starting to work on solo records, I, I did get the offer to join Grand Funk. So I've, I've always kept very busy, and I've always, of course, kept my KISS connection healthy and strong. So it's been um, – uh, I haven't been hiding. That's what kills me when someone ever says, like, well, I, you know, what have you been up to? <laughs> you know, I find that a little bit odd. But look, I know you know not everybody's on the radar of, of everybody, and with social media now and how everybody shares information, it's it's um, it has changed everything. We talked about that before you started the interview. How you you know you, you got to support music in different ways now because it's changed so much. You know, when you don't Absolutely. really you know MTV and you don't have uh, even uh, you know CDs are not necessarily as popular. There are certain Kiss fans that are collectors of mediums like vinyl and, and CDs. But, but you know, in general, you share the music more through streaming or online services. And it's really a, a constantly evolving thing. And I, I try to stay up on it as much as I can, which is why my three solo records are on all the digital media. And, and I use all those tools, too, when I got to prepare for gigs and I got to pull down my Kiss catalog. I could do it through Spotify, through one of the apps I have. And practice you know so i get the good and the bad i just hate that obviously the negative part would be that some people think music's for free and we know that a lot of money and effort and talent takes uh goes into creating 
uh, a song that you're going to enjoy. You know that. So uh, it is an interesting uh, time that we we live in. That I'm just happy to have the fans. I don't even know what it is for a new band to get out there and break it. You know, there's this because there isn't some of those mediums that we all grew up on. You know, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, what age did you start playing guitar? Well, um, I actually probably started around 10 years old when, um, I mean, for me, the uh, British invasion just started, meaning groups like the Beatles broke. And uh, it was really quite, quite exciting time in the music industry or what would become the music industry in, in the world of music, actually. When you think about the fact that the Beatles and then the subsequent popular bands like The Who and Led Zeppelin, and then Jimi Hendrix, who might have been American, but he had to go to England to break it, um, all were a part of my daily diet, you know, shall I say. And how can I tell you how much that changed my world and turned my life upside down in a very happy way? I was one of the many who watched the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. And, awesome. was, and, and, and you know... Um, I, I just really did want to play guitar from that. I, I know my brother already had a guitar because folk was popular. I had, we, we had a lot of um, musicality in our family, cousins that played piano or, or guitar or violin. Apparently my uncle played. So we loved music, but clearly the Beatles just made us want to really learn how to, how to play a guitar. So I started taking lessons up the block at a record shop, Melville's Record Shop. Oh, wow. Important. I a natural. I doubt if it's there, you know, but still. But it, it, it was really something that came pretty natural to me. So at that point, I never looked back. I was very fortunate. You know, in high school, I had like a day job after school so I could earn money to buy a guitar and an amp and, a, you know, things like that. Awesome. I worked, I worked at the public library on, on, on uh, Fifth Avenue, you know, the one with the big lions. Back awesome. then... Um, if you were in the science and technology division, there was a few areas of the library that were reference only. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that meant you got in there and you wanted to look something up. You look through one of those uh, file desk type things, these old wooden drawers that come out and you're looking for a book. And then you pull that little index card out. And then I'm the guy that ran two blocks down because the library was huge to go get the book. Okay? <laughs> the Dewey Decimal System. Yes, yes. And, and what's remarkable is like people like Kurt Vonnegut would go in there. Uh, there was a special room that would uh, they would store bad things like like evil witchcraft and bomb making and things like that. You know, and they knew that room 113 was ooh, you had to get an ID from the person and they were limited to, a, you know, an ID. And you kept the ID because you didn't want them to leave with, you know, would steal the book. You know what I mean? Obviously, that's before iPhones because you can take a picture of that shit now, right? Absolutely. Yeah, but anyway, uh, that was probably my only other like regular job at all. Everything else became music business and the music world, and I've been very blessed for that. Absolutely. Speaking of playing, buying your first guitar, what kind of guitar was it? An electric or acoustic? Well, um, I was borrowing and learning on on probably the acoustic that my brother had in the house. Uh, and, and with him being four years older, obviously, right. he was advancing. But the first instrument that I really bought, because my brother played guitar and I loved bass, too, and there, were, there was a guitar in the house, 
maybe more than one. I remember this cheap acoustic that I definitely started out all my baby chords on. But my first big purchase was a EB3 because I love Jack Bruce from Cream. And the bass was actually uh, the first one. A little later on when I realized I wanted to play guitar, I bought an SG special that um, I got back from a friend of mine that I sold it to many years ago. So I'm very happy that that guitar that I practically slept with and really carved a big knowledge of playing lead guitar on is is in my home. You know, that's pretty pretty amazing when you think about it. So I probably got it like in 73. Wow. Yeah, long time ago. It's a 65, which, you know, you think about it now, I mean, it's a, it's a really a vintage guitar, but I guess in 73 it wasn't that old, right? You know, right. <laughs> 65. Cool. Do you still own it? Yeah, well, now I do. Yeah, I did sell it many, many years ago, and then I got it back about three years ago, three, four years ago. It's right great. Oh, I, wow. I posted a little video playing it on uh, Facebook. I, t- I just told my wife, Lisa, this morning, I said, I, I should get back into a couple more. Hey, check out me playing this, you know what I mean, and throw it up on Facebook because people Absolutely. love it. You know? Or on Instagram and everything like that. Yeah, you can- yeah. But I did it on uh, uh, I did it on that guitar. I think I was fooling around, jamming like Black Magic Woman because Carlos Santana used to play an SG special, you know, at Woodstock and everything when he first became famous. Yeah, we'll get me started with guitars. We'll never we'll never finish this interview. We'll go eight hours, you know. Hey, hey Bruce, how did that happen? How did, tell us the story about how that happened? How you got the guitar back? Well, uh, this guy that I've known um, for a very long time. When I sold it to him. I was in KISS uh, when I sold it to him, and I realized, you know, well, I was going to be moving out to the West Coast, and I didn't want it to come with me, so he bought it. And then uh, he realized he got a time in his life where he just kind of approached me and said, hey, before I just offer it on eBay or whatever, you know, would you buy it? You know, just tell me what what, what, what you'd want to pay for it. And we worked it out, and it's back home. Okay. I'm really happy about it, not only because of the sentimental value. There's a pretty – wild black and white photo of me getting off of a, a plane, like a smaller plane in Spain when I was touring with a, a disco artist in 1975, George McRae, Rock Your Baby. Yep. And I'm actually carrying the guitar case down the stairs. I'm wearing this, you know, it's so 70s, the entire photo. <laughs> and it's that case, it's that guitar. And that, that photo, when I realized I had it and I scanned it probably about 10 years ago, I was like, damn, that looks so cool. I wish I had the guitar. I wish I, you know what I mean? Right. I also yeah. found out that the serial number was was very odd. It was a number that means a lot to me. So I was just really happy to get reunited with it because uh, it was definitely an, um, a very important guitar from my beginnings of learning how to play it. Right on. Is it the same color? It didn't change much. He took care of it. You know, it's cherry, but, you know, kind of darkened a bit. But those are great years still for, for Gibson and SG, 65. Right. Absolutely. So yes, They start changing the neck shapes and quality right. starts going down after 68, 69, and things don't come back for a while. But it's, it's an incredible guitar. I've showed it to some friends. And they're like, whoa. This is like, and it's not all original, but it's the way it was all original for me. You got what I mean? I made some upgrades on it, but right. great guitar. SG special. Right on. Speaking of guitars, how many do you own? Oh, I'm, I, 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 I'm very proud to mention that I have 
Well, I had a real problem where I just couldn't help it. My wife was only encouraging me, which didn't help, you know. So at one point, I probably had like 175, which is really obscene. Holy shit. And I'm including like things that are out on the backline truck that stay with with Grand Funk. I could have like 20 guitars on the road all the time, some some with friends and studios. But still, I I had one of my buddies who's who's very good with – financial things and he was over the house and he said you know you really should consider lightening your load okay and i agreed even though my face first went to jello you know what i mean (laughs) but he made a point he goes like when you have that many um just to grab one that's maybe five rows back in the in, in in the room you know you're exhausted by the time you get to that guitar. You get what I mean? So it was ridiculous. And I got very aggressive about moving them. Probably within three months that he told me that, I sold like 20. Within six months, I sold another at least 20, 25. And, and then more recently, uh, I got aggressive again uh, because I really wanted to keep it under 100 at least. And then eventually get it down to more like, 60 to 75 you know okay. so i could proud to say that i'm under 100 and it feels good <laughs> i was gonna say they do have meetings for that but you know yeah i know i know they also call it it means i have gas you know guitar acquisition syndrome okay <laughs> my disease you know now i think it's guitar gearheads they get it uh, they absolutely know the problem and why and and look it, if i wasn't you know, a career guy and actually making a living playing guitar. Uh, I know there's guys that are just so rich and they figure, well, I could put money in the stock market or a boat or three homes or whatever, but I did guitars, so I'll have 200 guitars, you know what I mean? And I get it, uh, but at least I have that excuse that I, I, I also recognize there were times when you used to go into the studio and you want to bring 25, 30 guitars for all the different sounds you want to do. And nowadays, you don't always go in the studio. Sometimes you're just recording on your home, you know, with software. Right. And to be honest, you don't really need 25 or 30 to be versatile. You could probably do it on 12 and still be really versatile. You get what I mean? Absolutely, 100%. Of having, uh, well, I need a telly with a rosewood neck. Oh, I should have a telly with a maple neck. Oh, I need one with a humbucker, too. You see what I mean? And just in one category of a guitar, you could suddenly have five variations, and it goes on and on and on. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm, happy. I'm, I'm, I'm less than 100, and the goal is another 25% down at least. Okay. Yeah, well, my birthday's in June, so. Oh, yeah, yeah I got you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, besides bass, and guitar, because I know you've played bass on several KISS tracks and yeah, other bands and stuff. Yeah, and guitar. Yeah. What other instruments do you know how to play? I play a little bit of piano. You know, I had to take piano lessons to be in the music department, um, you know, uh, uh, classes at Queens College, where I went for almost two years. And right. so I got a piano, and I haven't kept up with it, and I desperately need it tuned. But I, yeah, I remember a funny story was back in the uh, like mid '90s or a little earlier when there was there was a time when I was friends with Nikki Six, uh, and and I remember we'd get together sometimes. I'd be over at his house during some holidays and stuff. And I remember one time he had a baby grand in his in this beautiful home that he had, and I sat down and I played a couple of the songs that I learned and I studied and practiced, which was part of my 
you know, kind of, I didn't forget them yet. You know, right. uh, one was like a kind of a beautiful piano arrangement of Misty, you know, uh, uh, an old uh, jazz standard, uh, American standard songbook kind of song. And then, I, and then I could play like a Chopin thing because I was studying some classical stuff to learn how to read and do all that. And he was just like freaked out. But the funniest thing was like, now if he said to me, all right, let's jam, I would have been like, eh. you know, I wouldn't know what to play. So I, I knew those <laughs> things. And, uh, but I do, it, it's always been valuable because it's been another instrument that I can communicate well with a keyboard player because I understand it. But I, I do regret that I haven't kept up on it, but I still have the piano in my home now. So I got to get it tuned though. I, I really gotcha. do. Because yeah. didn't you play keyboard on Reason to Live? Right. So I was able to. Now, I never recorded keyboards with the band, but in the video, when you realized, you know, keyboards are kind of a big part of the song. Well, Bruce, you, you know how to play chords on piano. You know, I go, yeah. So let me sit down and do that. And there was live, I did it. We did have a keyboard player off stage. So I don't yeah. want to, you know, yeah, deny that. Uh, yeah, because I had to break away to play the guitar. And, and you know, it was kind of like what Eddie, I admired what Eddie Van Halen did with Jump, you remember? Right. So that, that was impressive that he would do that, you know. And I did own some ele electronic keyboards. I had the same synthesizer that he had from Jump. And I would present stuff like that to the band sometimes, you know, and I knew how to do, you know, string pads and things like that. So so it's always been a valuable thing, but, I, you know, I, I wouldn't really want to list it as an instrument for me. You get what I'm saying. You know, for yeah. me, guitar is my world. I, I am a good bass player, and I'm really proud of it, and I'm very flattered that – I'm even on some of the hits for Kiss, like Forever. Right. Put on the, even Psycho Circus I played bass on. It right. didn't sit in the uh, box set that they put out, but I know how to imitate Gene well. You know, uh, every time I look at you, the Detroit Rock City song I played bass. I was just about to say the one that Diane Warren wrote. That Diane Warren song. And that was really cool because Paul didn't want the band to really play on it anyway. So I was like another session guy, just like the other guys, you know, that <laughs> played you see what I mean? Oh. And then even on Paul's solo record, you know, uh, Live to Win. He, I wanted to play guitar. He, he didn't want me to play guitar. He liked the way I played bass, so he told me to play bass. Okay, I'll play bass on this song. Sure. I guess you know, I, I always enjoyed working with those guys, and they know how to communicate with me well, so it always worked out good. Right on. All right. You mentioned other family members besides your brother and yourself being established musicians was there any yeah, other having talent i wouldn't call them all established though i did hear not that long ago that my <laughs> uncle was offered to tour when he was young violinist okay this cool. mother brother and the you know his soon-to-be wife said if you leave forget it you know what i mean we're not going to get married so wow. he did go tour i mean who knows he could have become like a concert violinist you know what i mean but you gotta remember back then relationships were different than now where you can turn sure. so much easier you know you ever watch a vintage movie and someone goes you know overseas or something it's like wait for the letter you know what i mean yeah or a telegram. it'll take two months to get there if, you, if lucky <laughs> okay like, nice. a, 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 what do they call it the uh you know those telegrams you know you can uh you know, iMessage or Skype or FaceTime around the world. You know, so, Absolutely. You know, Uncle Bill didn't go, so who knows what where it could have taken him. But even my dad played trumpet. I'm not sure how well. My mother, I know, sang nicely, and I had other relatives on her side of the family absolutely played piano really well, you know, and, and one new acoustic guitar 
and that inspired my brother to get a guitar too. So I'm glad that that music's been in my family. You know, it. I will let everyone know that I think it's a wonderful thing to do to pick up an instrument, even right. if you kind of suck at it. It, it is something good that it makes you, it makes you feel good. It does something for your, you know, your inner, you know, soul and whatever, you know, kind of, even if someone bangs out something really basic and simple, you, you know, that smile that they, they it, it just is an accomplishment thing. But, you know, for, you know, really to be really good and successful, it has to be an innate ability, which, which really means your, your DNA is kind of programmed for a super talent. You know what I mean? That's the only way you're going to make it. You know, but 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 music's for everyone. Everyone should own an instrument and enjoy it. Absolutely, my I'm a single dad of two, and both my sons are taking up instruments in school. Good, good. It will, it will, it they should enjoy it. I know sometimes um, it's not for everyone, and they get rebellious, and then sometime you never know they they might revisit it. Though. Yeah, I dabble in guitar, and uh, I play guitar, and I dabble in uh, piano also. But there you go. Yeah. So yeah, I know I know how it is. I just stick with radio because I have the perfect face for it. So, well, you could say you play the radio. So there you go. <laughs> Speaking of the radio, when you hear a song of yours on the radio, do you turn it up or do you turn it off? No, I, I have to admit, I, I, it's it's not that I got to make it five times louder than whatever else I was listening to, but I, I I am always curious, you know, and I enjoy it. I, I get friends who send the screenshots through. You know, one of the popular things, of course, like the hair, what was it called, Hair Nation or something on, on Sirius XM. And I, I don't really listen to that station, even though there could be easily kissier stuff on there. And I know there is because people send me screenshots of it, you know. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, when you first, if you just worked on a record and then you release it, that's a great time, obviously, to, you know, kind of like want to hear it, you know. And that's the only time I get excited about it. Like turn it up, you know. I want to. I want to hear my my uh, the labor of my, you know, work there. Um, you know, on on the uh, on the car stereo or wherever it comes up. So nice. Uh, it, it's a good feeling for any artist, you know. And I'll, um, you know, so it, it, it's a validation. You know, you get, you know, you know that. Even the one time I had a chance meeting with Ringo Starr, uh, we were done having our quick chat, and then uh, I actually knew about his new record and I got it at an event that he performed at about a week before I met him. So I said, by the way, I enjoyed the new record. He made a point of turning his head, looking me in the eye and thanking me. Now, that's wow. Ringo Starr, the most famous drummer in the world. Okay? True. And, and he still needed the affirmation of someone gave a shit about his new record. Okay. Mm -hmm. There you go. Wow. That's the human condition. That's we all awesome. need love. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of car radios and stuff like that, what kind of car do you drive? I love, I'm, I'm a little snobby and I've always, as soon as I actually could afford it, I, I love a Lexus, okay? I'm not a, you know, fancy sport car guy or Ferrari or any of that stuff. So uh, I love I love sedans because I'm 6'3", although I rented recently, I had to do running around and actually it had to do with moving around guitars and things and i was able to rent an suv and i was so stoked i had a giant explorer and i was like when i ran into eric singer with it he was like you know those are cool you know the the police they use those vehicles a little different suspension but they use those you know so uh, 
and and my wife's kind of pushing me that the next car should be an SUV. So maybe it will be a Lexus SUV instead of a sedan. But I love the GS because it has a lot of features on. Nice. You know, but, uh, you know, look, cars are very personal. I have friends who could afford anything. And sometimes their choices, I really scratch my head. You know what I mean? And obviously there's people that um, can't afford that much. But you'd be surprised when you can get a hell of a car, you know, for not that much. You know what I mean? (laughs) So, you know, if you shop wisely and don't do it, you know, uh, irrationally, just like guitars, you can buy a two, three hundred dollar guitar that plays well. So, right. Yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, let's see. Other question. Although my guitars are worth more money than that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> especially that SG, I'm sure. Yeah, especially that SG. Yeah. yeah. And my kids' guitars. Right. <laughs> Well, do you still own, let's see, because you used to be endorsed by a Gibson when you were with Kiss, right? Well, or I, ESP. Wouldn't, I wouldn't say I was endorsed by them. Paul at times would play, you know, Les Pauls and Gibson stuff. And uh, we were given the red carpet treatment when we went there in the mid-90s. And we, we did a, a, a gig for them at NAM when they did it in Nashville once. And, of course, Gibson's pretty iconic in Nashville for many, many years, even though they started in Michigan. ESP was the first brand that I really got endorsed by, and I'm still with them after all these years. So very beginning with Kiss, I owned some Charvels, which were made by Jackson. Jackson. And I did enjoy them. They were very rare. He then sold the company and started doing Japanese issues of those kind of guitars. And... um, by then, it was 85, 86, I got involved with ESP because they started to, instead of being just a parts guitar company, became more competitive with those kind of metal super strats, you know. And actually, even Eddie Van Halen's Frankenstein and everything, or that Kramer that he was famous for, a lot of those, all the parts were made by ESP. Oh, wow. You know, with the big headstock, they called it the uh, hockey stick headstock. Yeah, the uh, Frankenstein so, you're talking about, yeah, right? Yeah. Frankenstein had that, yeah. So uh, I actually, and I'm glad you brought up guitar manufacturers, though, because I did go back to ESP and ask them to do a short run for me that I was going to sell myself. It had nothing to do with any stores or anything. It could only available from me, from my website, via my PayPal. I was a one-man operation, and I offered 12 what I call the banana guitars. Yeah, the yellow one. A very close copy of the one on the back of Crazy Nights, right? Right. And I still own that guitar. I still record with that guitar. I'll never tour with that guitar, but there it is, you know. <laughs> and it came out great. They sold them one day. Uh, instead of like looking at like, okay, let me order another twelve or another twenty-four, even though I had a waiting list. I wanted to move on to another model, actually, and I did. Um, I will be introducing another one from that from an earlier era actually from Asylum I had a ESP that similar Strat one pickup Floyd Rose that was a multi-swirl paint job on it okay the one that you used on Who Wants to Be with Lonely video yeah, exactly wow you're you're definitely a big kiss yes yes <laughs> so that one I saw pictures of the prototype and you're getting a uh, the information very fresh because very I, exclusive. I've only told my inner circle people no one I haven't really talked about it yet um, but Thank I you. did see the photos of the prototype, which are very promising. Generally, uh, knowing how it went with the banana, right. 
Uh, you see the prototype, you make some changes, you usually get a second one, and then you're ready to make the order, okay? So more than likely, uh, they won't be ready until the first quarter of next year. Okay. Um, but I am really excited about it, but it didn't prevent me from moving forward making the Axe Heaven mini guitar version of the multi-swirl guitar. And awesome. that prototype was awesome. And obviously, only being like, I think they're eight inches or something like that. Yeah. Not quite the challenge as a full guitar, you know, so... Those are being manufactured now, and I should have them uh, pretty damn sh soon, okay? So I'll be offering those, and the, the full guitar is uh, sometime in 2019, and that's pretty exciting, and I hope to do other models with ESP. Okay? Right on. Okay. Because I, I know that fans, I was a little shy with the banana one. I've had a lot of people that sell other things that are KISS-related bring up to me that, why don't you do this? You could do a bobble doll, or you, you could do this or that. And I'm always like, eh, you know what I mean? Right. When I finally got kind of pushed in the direction of the Axe Heaven kind of mini guitar thing, even then, as much as I agreed and I wanted to do it, I, I didn't order as many as I should have, okay? Right. Uh, so I was a little bit conservative, I'm not sure, and I sold out of those in three days, Okay, wow. over a hundred, and I'm certainly not going to be as shy with the multi swirl. Okay, right. I'll order more, but I do want to keep my items limited. I, I don't love, and I've had some of the Kiss fans remind me that they do love that when someone does a limited run, they then and then they sell out quickly. They don't then do this like all of a sudden they flood the market with uh, the, the same version. Really, you know what right. I mean? Because it takes away that that specialty of the limited type of thing so i think there's enough things for me to explore that i won't feel like i'm missing out you know what i mean on offering things and i'd rather keep it limited you know so uh i'm working on that uh you know kind of approach to it okay so it's all about for me you know quality not quantity keeping things limited offering the fans something really you know awesome that they want to display and all or play well <laughs> Gene taught you well. Good job. Yeah. No, I, I mean, those guys are masters at this. Uh, and, and the KISS brand is, right. is iconic with anything competitive in the sense of a marketing, you know, magic, you know, which is why they've been branded on thousands of products, as you know. And, and okay. things that are not music related. I mean, Hello Kitty, you know what I mean? Come on. You know. So... They're really geniuses with that. But I will want to mention the only other like merch item that I want to be bringing up today is I've had it for a long time, but I had I had to close my store for a busy summer and the fact that I moved recently. Right. And all that prevented me from ever having my merch store open, which it usually is all the time, you know. Uh, and I'm working on a new website design, which should be ready um, in November which Great. will be BruceKulik.com, actually. A fan gave me that name. Okay. Wow. They, they heard me talking about it on a podcast like I'm doing with you. Right. And the guy was like, wait a minute, that's wrong. You know, why doesn't Bruce have BruceKulik.com? Well, right. you know what happened when the world, you know, the wild, wild west, as we call the World Wide Web. Right. And, you know, the, these people got real smart to, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to, you know, copyright these names and grab those domains you know so a guy in norway who's a tech guy who i did get to meet and uh i was very kind to him of course because he did me a huge favor him and his lovely wife 
I saw him last year uh, when he decided to reach out to the people that owned it. You know, they probably, I'm sure he paid for it, but it would have been a little less probably than Bruce Kulik asking for his web domain name. Right. Yeah. So anyway, that was really kind of him. And that made me want desperately to do a new simplified dashboard style website. I'll always keep the old HTML link as an archive because there's a lot of stuff there, you know, through right. the years. But the new site will open up in uh, November. And I'll also be offering because I created BK3, the album that I sent you that track that Gene Simmons kindly sang for me. Right. Um, BK3 came out in 2010, but it wasn't until like 2012 that I offered it in vinyl. Okay, and now that sold out fairly quickly. Vinyls, you know, it's 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 a lot to deal with. You know, what I mean, it's heavy, it's big, it's expensive to it's, You know, you got to ship it yeah. differently. It's not as easy as a photo or a CD or anything. But I know the vinyl collectors love vinyl. I do too. I have a really large collection. But I ordered it in in like the 180 gram red vinyl changed a few minor things that the collectors all love if you know what i mean right you know and uh they're in my house i mean i have them okay but i only sold one box when i went to the kiss expo in may and then i had to close the store because my summer got crazy with you know moving and all the gigs with grand funk so i'll offer it i think and you tell me if you agree it's red vinyl, so why not offer it for Christmas? Because it's red vinyl. You know, you know what I mean? Right. I think so. So, uh, but I will be also, and I know we didn't bring up the cruise yet, but I'll, I'll be offering, uh, I can't, I'm not going to bring a, a lot of quantity on the boat, but I'll bring some on the boat so people talk about it. And if the mini guitars are ready, as promised, I'll be bringing some of the mini guitars as well to sell. So, and, you're also, are you, and you know you got the diehards there so they'll be sharing their their goodies with the, the world you know and that's good for me you know because obviously those people that go on that kiss cruise are uh quite quite ambitious for the band yeah. absolutely yeah i call it the kiss tchotchkes i think yeah. i think <laughs> i think for sophie and evan and nick's college for all the stuff that i've purchased Gene and Paul can thank you. Worthy cause. There you go. (laughs) They're good. They're good kids, actually. Absolutely. I love them all. Me too. So, okay. Here's an obscure question: When you're not recording or touring and not moving, (laughs) yeah, um, do you still practice every day, or do you? No, no. I really, I do pick up a guitar when it's around and I have some time. Sometimes I'll just sit around and watch even the news and just noodle. I call it noodling, you know, but Mm -hmm. it. Keeps the fingers going. Fortunately, Grand Funk, you know, gigs often enough that I keep a guitar, uh, you, you know, in my hands almost every weekend with the gigs with them. And then there's other, other things to always uh, gear up for. You know, there, there's many times I get involved with the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp where I got to practice a corporate gig you wouldn't know about or I'm just going to jam with some people. So, uh, you know, there's always something that I'm um, – sessions too that I, I, I was quite – uh, happy that last year I did quite a few sessions um, for people. So there's always a reason to keep limber and keep you know playing. But it isn't an everyday thing. I will I will be honest. Now knowing that I have some other events coming up at the end of the month, as you know, right. I'm absolutely you know keeping a guitar and trying to play every day I can. Obviously, uh, I had to go to, you know to L.A. to do some you know other kind of stuff. I couldn't exactly 
take a guitar with me and practice because I was doing different things, you know. But yes, I do like to uh, uh, keep the fingers limber. Gotcha. Uh, Jay and I got an opportunity to interview one of your former bandmates, Mr. Sandy Gennaro. Wow, I had a dream about him last week. That's so weird. (laughs) So, here's the question. Any chance of a blackjack reunion? Oh, well, look, you got the 800-pound gorilla who has to answer the question. His name's Michael Bolton. Okay. Well, you guys... Michael still swore to me like three years ago, maybe four, that he's going to do a rock album and he's calling me, okay? So, (laughs) no one has it wrong, okay? (laughs) But I know there's some labels that have honestly chased him down and thought like, wow, okay, do a rock album. Well, he's dabbled in a lot of things and he's been really tremendous at everything he touches. You know, I, I really very proud of him. I always supported him and he's been, you know, uh, he's an inspiration too, because we worked really hard. We hit walls with blackjack. We, you know, we went through the trenches and we didn't quite make the success we wanted to, but working with Michael was, was another thing that kind of another feather in my cap that really helped show me the way, you know? Absolutely. So, uh, Bruce, your brother also plays guitar. So who is the better guitarist between the two of you? (laughs) (laughs) This question, Look, I'd rather, you know, look, people ask me even in like, tell me your favorite drummer of Kiss. And all the drummers (laughs) Kiss had their own thing. And I, I mean, I only got to play with Peter the one time on MTV, but obviously if they wanted me to compare the two Eric's, I'd have my opinion, but I hated to do it better. Now, this is a personal question. I, and I, I will answer it, but I'll sum it up that I looked at, when I started learning guitar and everything, and I looked at my musical diet, I did want to play more styles than my brother, okay? So I was like into some progressive stuff, like Yes, King Crimson, bands like that you know uh, now Bob loved Frank Zapper and stuff like that but he didn't understand why I'd want to like maybe learn some of Steve Howe's riffs or Robert Fripp what the hell is he doing Mahavishnu Orchestra he loved them too but I would actually try to learn some of it so I do feel in some ways that I've always been a little more versatile than him only because of my passion to study a lot of different type and then again I got to give my brother credit there was one style that I felt he so excelled at, and that would be like this kind of Leslie West, this very, very pointed, uh, lyrical, melodic lead playing, which which was his great stuff that he did on Kiss and any of the other you know things that he got involved with. And Bob does that really, really well to the point where I've always admired it, and sometimes I was like, wow, that's a great riff, you know what I mean? I wouldn't have thought to play that, so. I do feel like I could, I, I was influenced by him or I could play some of those things, but I felt like what I'm trying to describe to you and it's harder, it was almost easier to play you the riff than, you know, off, the, off uh, the record. Let's say some of the riffs he played in Goodbye by Paul Stanley on the solo record. That's like the definitive Bob, you know what I mean? And I love that stuff. So I felt like he excelled on that and, and I just have always tried to be a little versatile though. I mean, I'm, you know, for all the years in KISS, they did ask me to do a lot of different things. You know that. I mean, I had to go from, you know, really flashy playing in the beginning with Asylum all the way to a little more meat and potatoes on Revenge to grungy stuff on Carnival Souls and throw an acoustic solo on Forever. You see what I mean? So they, they got to tap into my versatility, which I 
always felt I got a chance to shine with for them. And that meant a lot to me. Speaking of Michael Bolton, who wrote forever. Co-wrote. You better you better fix that. Right. <laughs> I know. You don't want a slight call. Uh, of course. And I don't blame him. Yeah, I mean, I heard when Michael would say, here's a song I wrote for Kiss. No, here's a song you wrote with Kiss. Okay. <laughs> or rather with Paul Stanley, you know. So I remember that, that bothered Paul. And I get it. I get it. But who knows? I wasn't there to get in the, you know, get in the mud or the sandbox, whatever. So besides the Kiss Cruise, are you going to participate in the End of the Road tour? Have they asked you? Million-dollar question, huh? Can you? I wish I had a dollar for everybody that's asked me there since they announced the freaking tour. Okay, <laughs> your guess is as good as mine. So. I don't know if I could collect the dollar bills from all those, you know, but the point is, I, you know, I have to admit that I think this is a wonderful time for the band. If it really is a bookend and it's going to wrap things up and it could take three years, who knows, you know, and, and there is the opportunity that I'm a part of it. You know, I welcome it. I, I won't be pissed off if, if I'm not included and they do it differently. But I do know that the band clearly is understanding. I knew it from the Hall of Fame debacle, you know, right. because it was very clear to Paul and Gene, and especially Paul, how upset he was that they wouldn't include myself and, 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 and an Eric Carr. You know, we know he's not there, but, you know, we know how many records, you know, um, were sold, Eric Singer and the current, you know, with Tommy Thayer and all, and the fact that they you know, the, the Hall of Fame ignored it. So I know they're very aware of that KISS is not just the current model or the original band, it's all the years. Hence, the tour, I mean, rather, this cruise is called Decades at Sea, you know what I mean? Which, which actually with Ace and myself and them, there it is. I mean, you couldn't cover that, that those years better than that, you know? So we'll see what happens, but your guess is as good as mine, really. All right, here's a really crazy question I have to ask, because like I said, I am Psycho Steve, and I don't go with the norm questions. Vinnie Vincent, I asked Mark Slaughter this. Here's another million dollar question. Vinnie Vincent, guy or girl? <laughs> By the way, I just saw Mark. Uh, he played, he, he does scrap metal sometimes in addition to his own Slaughter gigs. Yeah. And great catching up with him you know it's so funny you mentioned him uh he was also at that big kiss expo in, in indianapolis in, in, in may so, right uh, he still has got it too he sang great are incredible um you know what I, I i i hear things i don't really want to comment to be honest because okay. since i can't like like uh you know ask for a uh, x-ray of him you know through the body scan at, by TSA I don't know what to say right um, it's it's it, I, I think it may may be able to go 50-50 what did Mark say <laughs> he took the high road he said uh, no comment he he doesn't really care because you know because Vinny kind of slandered Mark yeah uh, I, I, I caught that yeah and Mark did the right thing, and he yeah, said, "Yeah, no, Mark doesn't get in the gutter, and I don't either." And that's right. why um, I would think some fans should ask Vinny at an event. No one has, I don't think. You right. Know what I mean? But uh, you know what? And and even if it was true, um, it doesn't matter. You know, right. I mean, we're in this era now that everybody 
I proudly bought the equality shirt from John Barbados. You know what I mean? Uh, And and the truth is uh, people should be whatever they want to be. I mean, it's really an incredible time in, in the you know, kind of history of the world when you think about it. You know, just think about the restrooms you can go to now and go like, oh, I don't have to wait for the uh, men's room. I can go in this unisex one. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so who cares, you know? Whatever. Absolutely. So when you're not performing and not touring and not practicing, do you have any hobbies? Well, you know, I, I, I do enjoy um, uh, you know, there are certain uh, TV shows that I'll love to watch. I love listening to music in as much as that's related to my career and inspiring to my career. I don't, uh, I, I'm not necessarily playing it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm not actually practicing, I'm doing it as an enjoyment. So I would say that listening to music, uh, eating out in some favorite restaurants, um, you know, certainly I don't mind shopping for clothes. I, I do like that. Wait, my wife said something, I didn't catch it. Oh, well, she wanted me to mention that I do love and enjoy listening to Frank Sinatra, which is true. Because that's a whole new, like, vocabulary for me of music, you know. Right. Um, there's a whole era of amazing songs and stuff, and, and the whole Rat Pack thing is, is very inspiring, actually. So, um, but, but you know, a lot of the things, just the same as growing up, I, I really do enjoy science fiction and, uh, um, you know, there are certain movies like Star Wars and all I got to see, you know, so. But I, I I don't have any strange hobbies. I mean, I used to love antique stores and, I, you know, but uh, I'm trying not to have more items in my life, if you get mm-hmm. what I'm saying. So, Absolutely. But, but uh, and, and, you know, my life is so full that I, I, I just said it to Lisa today. I was like, wow, we're really accomplishing a lot every day. And yet there's not enough freaking hours in the day to do to balance the, uh, well, I'm setting up a new home, uh, my career, my career, you know, you think about it, you know, you can go in, in, a, in a million different directions. This is why Gene Simmons is probably the busiest man in the universe. You, you know, sure. that kiss, but he's got his soul thing. He's got his vault. He's got the comic books. Uh, Eric told me he's branding like, like groceries now. Yeah. Soda. But yeah, I'm like, what? You know? <laughs> so, you know, you see how this world and our lives can really be, I remember when I was younger, there were times like, I'm bored. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine. And sometimes my wife will go like, why are you getting up? It's 5.30. What are you doing? Oh, I, I, I got a million things. There's so many things I got to do. I'm, I'm heading down to my office. Don't worry. I'll be okay. What time do you want to get up? You know what I mean? So that's me. You know, what can I say? So it's never a dull moment. Trust me. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, were you a fan of Kiss before you joined the band? You know, that's a great question. I actually, I was like snobby when I was first learning stuff. And anybody, including David Bowie, remember the record Aladdin Saint? Yes. I saw that, I go like, oh, you know, he's probably not that good. What kind of a gimmick is this? Okay. <laughs> and I never gave the music a chance. One of my favorite Bowie records, come on, Okay. It's great. Mick Ronson kills it on guitar. The songs are amazing. So for some reason, because I was into just the music, I mean, I was snobby about the Stones. I thought they were out of tune all the time. Okay, (laughs) you know, so think about it. I'm listening to progressive music, progressive rock, you know, all the great British bands, you know, 
and and Kiss came along, and I get what they were doing. They were kind of like the superhero Led Zeppelin. They were trying to be, you know, a kind of they branded themselves in an interesting way, like the Beatles. I had the four guys, and the names were simple, yet they were colored. You know, so I didn't take them that seriously until my brother played Destroyer for me. And I heard Detroit Rock City, you know, the way it starts off was very creative. Well, right. Robin, I, I consider him one of the genius producers of our time. And I absolutely loved the song, the, the, the attitude. And right shortly after getting turned on to that album, we were invited, my brother knew the Kiss guys, of course, to go see them in Madison Square Garden. And I'm not going to tell you the seats were anywhere, you know, close at all. It didn't matter where I was. Mm-hmm. I got it. I really... <laughs> so by then, I got it. And I and I had no idea that my future would be so intertwined with such a, an iconic band, and it would change my life forever. But uh, it's kind of funny to not take them very seriously, to really enjoying it and getting it, to then, of course, within six years, being asked to join the band. It's very odd. Now, Eric Singer, on the other hand, remembers going to see them in Cleveland and getting up to the front of the stage and banging on Ace's boot, okay? You know, that's, that's the kind of fan he was, okay? Younger than me, so you get it. So uh, it's interesting, and sometimes in a way, it's not negative to be a fan of a band that you wind up in or not to be you know I, I you know this guy who works with uh, Jeff Jeffrey Foskett who plays with the Beach Boys we're, we're really with Brian Wilson he's right. a Beach Boy fan he just went knocking on you know Brian Wilson's door and said I'm your guy you know what I mean and he has been his guy since he knocked on the door because Jeff can sing like a bird and play all the stuff and do everything and he's like He's been Brian's, you know, right-hand man. So there's a perfect example of a fan getting the gig. How about these tribute guys that wind up in the band? Yeah, Tom. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, like Tom, like Spiro could have replaced Gene. And yeah, sick. That's yeah, but uh, I, I wasn't really making a reference to Tommy because Tommy was a talented professional musician in a famous band, Black and Blue, that was right. Goldberg Jefferson. You know, prior to working for the band, and then suddenly, I, I looked at him as the, uh, uh, you know, what do you call it? You know, there's a for a play, you have your your, your understudy, and he was Ace's understudy for that tour. Right. And everyone's got to get. Why didn't they go to me? It made much more sense to go to Tom. He was ready, and Ace nearly pushed that issue where he knew he didn't make a gig or two. You know, and then he didn't show up, and it was like Tommy, get the outfit on. We got to we got to do this. Um, uh, uh, what was that TV show? Uh, they did a promo for a show where they covered uh, Cheap Trick or something. Uh, anyway, I'll think of it soon. Okay. My brain is moving too fast. So, um, Tommy's the right guy. But what I mean more like is the journey guy. You get this talented Filipini guy who never did a professional thing other than being a tribute man. Right. You know? And I, I, I know of other people, even I just saw Queen and the other drummer playing along is, is he's a huge Kiss fan. He met me at MTV Unplugged. The father was showing me pictures, but he worshipped Queen. And then next thing you know, he's playing a Queen. You know? Right. So, it's the same thing with Ripper Owens. Yes. Yes. And also Guns N' Roses. He played with uh, the tribute band. 
Yes. You're right. So that's what I mean about like you could be a fan and, and then you wind up with your dream gig. You know, in my case, I, I came I came around and became a fan, but it wasn't an initial thing. So, but I, you know, it didn't make me not take my job any less seriously. Of course, as you know, I knew that that was an incredible opportunity. <laughs> awesome. So, what would you call your favorite Kiss song, or do you have one? You know, um, obviously. There's certain highlights through the years that I was in the band. It's not that I didn't love some of the songs that I did later on. I remember the first time I learned 100,000 Years, I thought, oh, that's amazing. I Want You. Oh, my God, this song's amazing. You know what I mean? Because they weren't always staples in every tour. You know, so when I finally, when we touched upon it, I was like, I love this song. You know, it's cool. King of the Nighttime World. We didn't always do it, but I did do it. You know, and I loved it. So my wife calls me King of the Nightlife. Nightlight. Night, nightlight's world. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> just to let you know, Jay, that came off of an album. <laughs> you know, this is going to really blow up the internet. But um, for my year, certainly, you know, you got Asylum with Tears of Falling and Who Wants to Be Lonely, and then you got Crazy Nights. There's a couple tracks that I love, like Crazy Nights and. Uh, and then Hot in the Shade, you got Forever and Hide Your Heart. And, uh, certainly Revenge, there's a couple of key tracks like Unholy. And then Carnival of Souls, you know, I, I love Jungle on that. And, uh, you know, so, you know, through the years, you know, Unplugged, I was proud of everything I did on that. Live 3 is the supercharged version of uh, Kiss doing, you know, old and new, you know, great stuff on there. So lots to be proud of, really. You know, my, my songs went from Unholy to Forever. Think about it. Pretty right. different than that, you know. Yeah. All right, I got time for a few more, but my wife is cooking a yummy dinner. Awesome. <laughs> what time's dinner? Uh, <laughs> okay, so besides the former members of KISS, your current bandmates in the current band you're in, who are your rock star friends? Like, do you actually, like, call anyone that you could say, hey, uh, let's hang out. Let's go grab a beer or whatever. Right, right. No, that's a good question. I'm, um, you know, it's interesting that probably Eric's my closest, and I know, of course, he's in Kiss, but I'm not in Kiss, so I have to admit that I probably socially see him the most. Okay. Right. And, uh, I know there's some other guys that I've, you know, generally I get to see quite a few really cool people like Rudy Sarzo or Vinny Apice or apathy, depending on which one. Um, mm-hmm. at the, at when I do things for the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp, you, right. know, you know, so we wind up working together in things. There was a time when Phil Suzanne and I were were doing a lot of different, you know, a little bit of hanging out here and there. But, um, you know, in general, I'm, I'm, I can't think of too many others, you know, that uh, Eric's the biggest one, and that's, believe me, a whirlwind. I don't need too much more. I dream of the others, like I told you, Sandy Gennaro. <laughs> I'm hoping to stay in touch with Mark Slaughter more now, though, because he, um, you know, he and I hit it off really well. I hadn't seen him in quite a while. So. Yeah, because you guys toured together in yeah. in '90. that up too. The Hot and Shade tour was really, really a lot of fun. That yeah, that was Eric Carr's last performance, November 9th. and Winger. I remember when I used to keep in touch a lot with uh, with um, the drummer from Night Ranger. You know. Oh, uh, Kelly Keegan. Yeah, Kelly, yeah. 
And and I guess the other guy that has been re- reintroduced to my life that I always kept in touch with, but who I have seen a few times recently, is Mark Chatfield. Now he goes back to the Bob Seger, and that's who he's he's gigging again with. Wow. Uh, he, he tours with Bob, but he did play with me and Michael with, cool. with uh, Michael Bolton solo. Right. We've always kept in touch. He's a big guitar nut, and owned Cowtown Guitars, which was a famous store. He sold it years ago, but he uh, he and I have gotten a chance to hang out a bit recently. So Eric and Mark have really been the ones. I'll see him on tour because Grandpa, we have some secret dates this year. Sweet. Yep. Yep. Now that you live in Vegas, are you going to do Rock the Vault? That's funny you mentioned that because I I did talk with uh, I ran into Bloss Elias and uh, who else was it that uh, works with the, the well I know Andrew uh, Friedman yeah I know all those guys love them I saw it in its first year and I wow. absolutely loved it and I know it's evolved and it's moved a few times but um, actually um, uh, Howard Lease was uh, is always a friend that I'd run into and we'd get a chance to hang out. Uh, and Howard, uh, he's doing bad company right now, and I'd rather go down and see it when he's back in the band. Uh, and and uh, I'll probably get a chance to hang out with him then too, actually. So that's kind of cool. So yeah, um, uh, I want to go see it, and uh, I'm sure they'll always like like offer me to come in and do it and everything and sit in or whatever. So I I, I uh, I'm looking forward to that. It's, it sounds it sounds exciting. Right on, yeah. I, I love Robin McCauley and great singers. Really yeah, great. I got I this one with him last year, I think, at the Whiskey. There was a or a year and a half ago during a Christmas thing or something, and Robin sang a couple of songs with me for this Northern Light Orchestra, which is a terrific charity. Awesome. For, for people that that have drug problems and things, and it's a they do this thing through a boat angel. I don't know. It's great music. Whenever I get asked to do it, I, I really enjoy the music. It's good stuff. Melodic rock. And Robin's a killer singer. Killer. Absolutely. I got to see uh, Shanker right. and all his singers. Oh, wow. The Doogie Way, Macaulay. Right. Um, yeah, it was pretty impressive. Uh, so. Graham Bonnet, was he the other yeah. one? Yes, Graham was. Yeah, yeah I ran into Graham uh, not that long ago, too. Yep. He's 70 years old. I know, I know. He looked great when I saw him. So I'm like, I get winded when they run my credit, and he's running around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, what? So, <laughs> <laughs> if you could play with any musician, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Well, my, well, my fantasy band is always uh, Paul McCartney. I know he's alive. Okay. Right on. So, uh, and then I, 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 I would, of course, I'd play second guitar, but I'd love to play with uh, Jimi Hendrix, you know. Mm-hmm. He's one of my heroes. Uh, um, I certainly would love, you know, uh, I thought Bonham was such an incredible drummer. Um, love Paul Rogers to sing. So those are just a few, you know what I mean? Uh, there's, there's a lot of, you know, I, I did have like some big, big bucket list cross-offs by jamming with Jack Bruce and Simon Kirk. We jammed at a London rock and roll fantasy camp. That was amazing. And I played Sunshine of Your Love and White Room with him. Oh, my God. <laughs> I cried when I watched the video that night. Ridiculous. You know, you know but I've, I've played with uh, Dickie Betts. I've, I've, I've backed Roger Daltrey doing Who songs, you know. I've, I've been really blessed to, to jam with some really incredible uh, icon and people, you know, people that I've, I'm a huge fan of. So, Absolutely. Uh, I, I don't want to be greedy with it. I did actually audition for Mick Jagger 
uh, Jagger back in 1986 or something. You know, wow. Joe Satriani got the gig, you know, but yeah, that's pretty wild. Huh. That's cool. Wow. Just we're going to let me do the tour if it happened. It was interesting. Wow, that's very cool. Well, that's someone that they had to, you know, tip their hat to. Come on, Mick Jagger. <laughs> Doesn't get much bigger than that. True story. All right, a couple more questions and then I'll let you go eat dinner with these. Yes, I'm starving. Go. <laughs> Happy life. All right. Uh, what is in your CD player currently? I think because I recently discovered the more vintage Frank, because I really love Frank Sinatra from the Capitol years, which would right. be like 52, 53, till, until reprise. There's reprise years that I love too. But there was some magical years there with uh, his catalog that are my favorites. But then, I and I knew those songs. I got to wear out those songs so much that I learned every nuance of them. That I realized that a lot of those songs were written even in the twenties or the thirties or the forties. So he did them in the forties. Okay, so right. I'm going through the Columbia years. Okay, wow. so I have a six disc CD. And this morning, when I was setting up my computer, finally. Um, which is how I was able to send you the MP3. Uh, I was listening to one of those Columbia year Frank Sinatra. And it was amazing because he did do some of the songs that I know so well from the Capitol years and every nuance different. For me, that's no different than when, when the Beatles did anthology and they showed different versions of the songs that you only know the way you heard them. It's, it's wow. You know what I mean? You go like, wow. You know, so. And then, of course, there's other songs that he did that he never got to in those other years. But uh, that's in my CD player, believe it or not. Awesome. I got to see him live for his 75th birthday. I am very jealous. Okay. <laughs> very jealous. So, has anybody ever said to you, hey, Bruce, Q Lick? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> Well, sometimes they ask, like, how do you pronounce it? Q-Lick or Cool-Lick, as in I play cool licks, you know? Oh, okay, so, Cool-Lick. All right, you went in a different direction. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there was one time I remember I was, there were tickets left for me at a, at a, at a believe it or not, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Jeff Beck gig, probably <gasps> right before Stevie died. And uh, they couldn't find my name at Will Call. I'm freaking out. I go, you know, Q-Lick. And, and apparently... Um, I'm spelling it K-U-L-I-C-K, but they put it under like Q, Q-U-L-I-C-K. Uh, I'm very careful with that. So there you go. Wow. Okay. Q-Lick. But I think you were making a joke with, do you lick? Or I don't know. I, I like that lick. Yeah. It's a really interesting name. It's a Russian name, but over there they spell it a little different. I remember there was a famous uh, ice uh, skater that uh, K-U-L-I-K, you know, I see it misspelled quite a bit, but whatever. Anyway, but okay. it, it's an odd name, but I'm the, I'm the one Kiss guy that didn't have to change his name. That's pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Has yeah. it always been spelled that way, or like in history yeah. did it change? I think when, when my grandfather came, I guess they wrote it down right, because you know they'll change a long Polish name. All right, you're Smith. You, you know what I mean? You know, yeah, they, they yeah, yeah, no, I get it. That's what they used to do back then. I had a, um, my uh, grandparents, my grandfather and his brother came over together and they got logged as two different last names. So, but uh, they were brothers. Right. There was a lot of so, shit going on. Yeah. 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 
Maybe that's okay. the problem with Vinnie, a piece and, and apathy. <laughs> Never mind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they have their own issues. All right. Since you're a native New Yorker, are you a Yankee fan or a Met fan? You know, I, I was both in a weird way. I mean, in the beginning, you had to be a Yankee fan. And my grandfather actually owned um, a dry cleaning business Come. near Yankee Stadium in the Bronx. And they, he used to do some of the uniforms is what he told me. I'm mm-hmm. not saying I saw them, but I did see his business one time when I was very young. And it definitely was modern enough and fancy enough to do the uniforms. You know what I mean? Wow. Um, but then when I moved to Queens... I lived not far. I lived in Jackson Heights, not far actually from Shea Stadium. So I certainly became a Mets fan. And I remember going to see them in the bleachers in 86. Um, um, whatever year it was where they turned it around at the end and all of a sudden they went on to the World Series. You know what I mean? Yes, 86. Um, yeah. And it was an unbelievable World Series, right? Wasn't it the most exciting baseball ever? You know, the series sure. yeah, I mean, the went through the guy's you know, glove or whatever, and it went to the soccer game, something. It was just iconic. Anyway, so uh, it, it's both, uh, uh, you know, but but uh, but then I lived in L.A. long enough that I had to become a Dodger fan. All right, come on. And I even did the Star Spangled Banner acoustically with a, with a Coast Guard singer who has a, an incredible voice at one of the July 4th things. So that was a real thrill, I got to admit. Cool. So what's next for you? Well, I, I have more Grand Funk gigs. We, we play quite often. Right. You can always visit GrandFunkRailroad.com for the dates. Um, and we can gig any any month. Okay, We don't just gear up and go on tour. It could be any month. And like I said, we have a couple of, we have like three secret gigs that we'll be opening up in November and December, too. That's exciting. But I'm very excited, of course, about the Sold Out Kiss Cruise. And the night before, I get to perform at a um, American Diabetes um, gig in Fort Lauderdale, which is not far from Miami, of course. And I'll be performing there, and it's going to be amazing. The set that I've been preparing is 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 really wonderful for the Kiss fans. Uh, I'm not going to give anything away yet, but I'm just saying it's, it's going to be really great to uh, represent my era of Kiss, which has a lot of albums that songs were never played from. You know? Right. So uh, it's it's pretty exciting. I'm really looking forward to those gigs, and um, and and then what what 2019 can bring, you know, because obviously all summer with the move and and how busy Grand Funk kept me, I couldn't like kind of plant the seeds that I like to do, uh, but I will be. Uh, there's got a lot of exciting things on the horizon that I can. Um, can't even imagine, and some that I know, but I can't talk about it yet because I didn't put it in motion. If you get what I mean. Gotcha. Yeah. And now that you live in Vegas, we just interviewed Todd Kearns and Brent Fence lives in Vegas, so you'll be able to see him soon too. You know, and I have to admit uh, that they're a big part, and it wasn't professionally necessarily, but a big part of what brought my wife and I here. Uh, they were on the, uh, you know, they've been friends of mine for years. You know, I worked with Brent back in Union, and I've jammed with with Todd many times. But many times when we chatted, they would bring it up, like, you know, you should move here. You know, it's really cool. And and and, and you know, I couldn't leave L.A. while my mom was alive, and she lived a long life, but she passed away in April. Right. And Sorry for your loss. It only took, you know, thank you, but it only took a week for my wife and I to look at each other and go like. 
we're ready to move to Vegas now, you know what I mean? And we put that plan in high gear, you know, and that's what happened. And uh, it's it's been a whirlwind, but all uh, for the right reasons. And, um, you know, what can I say? I, I'm very excited, you know, that there's plenty of musicians here, as you know, but it, it, it's still entertainment and close enough to L.A. and it's got the big airport. And it's, you know, it's never been about the strip. It's just more about that. L.A., I kind of outgrew L.A. I don't want to trash L.A. I can tell you things that started to bug me in the last five years that were more severe than prior to that. But I really uh, wanted um, something that's still exciting, but uh, that does have a slower pace. And that's what okay. Vegas is. Also, the taxes are low. So I've been told. My accountant <laughs> told me that. Shh, don't tell anybody. I'm sorry. The Jew and me came out. Sorry. Yeah, the Jew and me. There you go. <laughs> well, thank you again. We very much oh, wow. appreciate it. And as sure you mentioned, of course, my Facebook, nothing's changing there. You know, everybody knows the official Bruce Kulik. And uh, please remind everybody about BruceKulik.com will be live in November. But right now it's just at Kulik.net. Okay. Right. And, uh, it will always redirect and all that. And uh, thank you for having me. And thanks for being one of the big Kiss fans that have seen 7 million shows. Okay. <laughs> and thanks for having me on your one year anniversary. I appreciate it. My pleasure, and thank you for making it happen. Okay. Yeah, right. Thank you very much. I'm glad we got it going. Yes. All right, guys. Have a good one. Are right, you too? All right. Good night. Good night. Psycho Steve presents. You can hear more from Psycho Steve on Hair Today on Tomorrow every Wednesday on iTunes and SoundCloud. The interview sessions are also on YouTube. Get your merch at Zazzle.com backslash Psycho Steve presents Hair Today Gone Tomorrow. Follow Psycho Steve on all social media platforms. Facebook at Psycho Steve Rocks. Instagram at the underscore real underscore psycho underscore Steve. Twitter at Real Psycho Steve. For requests or dedications or if you're in a band and want us to play your music or be interviewed or for advertising inquiries, email us at psychostevepresents at gmail.com. Psycho Steve Presents Hair Today Gone Tomorrow is brought to you by Pearlswag Enterprises, LLC. Please join Psycho Steve every Wednesday and Friday here on 